Thank you so much for listening to the Echoes of the Holograph audio narration. It's been a pleasure doing this audiobook. This is the final and seventh world, Mountain Heart. Why is this not working? Everything should be right, Amanda snarled as her arms began to crackle with lightning. They should be booting up. They should be alive. Why are they not coming alive? Ma'am, please, I, she said. I'll search the system now, but you need to have hope. That is always the missing ingredient. Moments later, two visors full of light lit up the room. Elk roared, and the island roared back. He had spent the better part of the morning playing with sand, chasing birds on the shoreline, and dreaming of mom. When the nearly glass-like texture of the morning's waves reached the sand, Elk felt warmth on his toes when the soapy water ran beneath his feet. He stared at his thin, childlike reflection in the water and dreamed of old toys. The reflection of a boy barely a day over seven years old stared back at him. His blue eyes gave way to feelings of loneliness, an abstract void in his arms, legs, and feet. His puffy, curly hair covered his large forehead, and his breathing became rhythmic and still. The swelling in his heart began as it always had. The expedition to the mountain was tomorrow, and Elk was nervous. This cold, sun-soaked strip of sand pressed under an outstretched horizon. When the crabs and squid would run amuck on the lining of the beach, when the residents of the island slept, Elk was there, practicing with his knife and wishing for Mom. Elk thought of the island and his life here. Elk was born into this new world like his father before him. He had grown accustomed to its pains and rough edges, but still he didn't think the world was always this way. He had visions of towers, remnants of old. On this island, your name was designated by the first animal you killed, and your status followed depending on the animal. Elk's father hunted a silver-beaked hawk and pierced its neck with an arrow tip, and his older brother had stalked a grizzly bear for three days before driving that fateful piece of sharp oak into the beast's stomach. On the island, they had renown. Elk had killed a baby deer, impressing nobody. By all accounts, he had failed his last village hunt. It made him weak to the village elders, and there were no reduce. Elk made his way back home. Crickets serenaded him as he passed hidden mountainous caverns, slender island trees, and scampering foxes. He always felt watched on the night's walk home, as if the eyes of a pack of kinderunt or kobold were fixed on him. He wondered, and it made his pace quicker. The makeshift wooden door of his family home creaked the same way each time he walked in. The frame was too big for Elk's small frame. His soft, brown skin twinkled in the light of the moon that crept through holes in the straw roof, pale light reflecting off his bright blue eyes. When Elk heard the door creak open, he noticed the shadow of his father's huge frame had filled the room. Hawk was a man of enormous stature with a chest that seemingly jettisoned from wall to wall. Ink and dirt covered his body, and his hair draped his shoulder over his breast. Hawk patted his son's head and smiled. They began cooking the fish together. 
the oil that danced around the fish's scales cracked and snapped in the silent kitchen. Elk's brother returned home later that evening and immediately began to cut his kill. A fresh rabbit, some river stock, and the innards of a tortoise. Bear, the living replica of his father before him, began to sweat over the boiling pot on the kitchen table. Bear was a whole foot taller than Elk, but weighed twice as much. His strength defined him, and his long hair also spilled over his shoulders. His father patted their heads again and sat with Elk and Bear and prepared the next day's lunch and dinner. They needed a full pack of meat and stew for a day like tomorrow. The smell of meat and, and stew had filled the hut, and their father let out a belch and waited in anticipation. He smiled at his boys, cracked his knuckles, and began to carve his serrated knife into the table for the passing of the day, which was always the hardest. The three ate their dinner and slurped their hot stew and drank their cold water. Their father heartily told the boys about how much their mother would hunt creatures they had never heard before. The boys loved these stories, how his mother, with her red hair and tall stature, defended the home from packs of kobold and Orthrus, how Hawk loved her and how he missed her. Bear still teared up whenever she was brought up. Elk remained stoic, in awe of his father's stories. After dinner, the trio slept and the crickets began their cacophony, in harmony with Bear's snoring. The next morning, Elk was jolted awake by the deep sound of his father's yelling. Elk, wake up before I pummel you with your own hilt, his father bellowed. Elk's feet met with the wintered wood of his room. Moonwalker skins and dreamcatchers lined his walls. Buckets of water and old coats in the corner and some tree branches where a pile of stuffed animals should have been. Elk, I swear if you sleep in like that again, I'll have to maim you and bake you in the stove. You know that, right? You know how I feel about sleeping in, especially on today. You know what day it is, lad. Bear said to the sleepy boy. I'm sorry, Dad. I don't know what happened, he replied. Well, I can't say I didn't sleep in when I was your age. My dad yelled me awake then, too. That's how we learn. The two boys helped their father with the morning chores. The eagles in the air screamed their songs, and the thistle swayed in the wind of the morning. Moss had covered their home, and the trees surrounding it were very tall. Old darkwood surrounded their little home. Their father had named them due to their dark bark and red leaves. Every morning, Elk and Bear scouted the perimeter of their home in search of nesting kinderunt. They were glowing young children, these kinderunt, covered in ash that lived all over the island. They didn't have anywhere else to go, and it had become a bit of a problem around the island. Elk was good at talking them down from their makeshift nests, feeding them, and sending them on their way. He always felt ambivalence when they scurried off on all fours, always wishing that they had the room. It was hard to tell what they were. Elk never really knew if they were actual children or something else. That morning, their brothers and their father were set to go on their first expedition to the north of the mountain, to the farthest side of the island. Once per year, a group of the island's bravest warriors are called forth to make more and more progress towards the mountain where so few had been before. An islander's entire existence was defined by their effort to reach the summit. The mountain itself was undocumented, and the village tribe would send a tribe of warriors like them to investigate once a year, so that the island's map could be incomplete one day. It always seemed to stretch out forever, with no end in sight, but today would be different. Their family was chosen by the village. Elk 
Hawk and Bear had been preparing for this day for their entire lives. They had to be ready for what was in store. No warrior had ever returned from their journey to the mountain. The towering hawk would prepare for the trip by packing a bag with deer meat, some perishables, local fruit, his leather-bound journal, rolled up paper for fire, and a few sleeping bags. His bag looked like a massive hump on his back, like you could almost ride it. He scratched his sharp chin and towered over the boys as he watched them sharpen their knives and pack wooden canteens of soup. Elk looked up at his father, who didn't know his own stature and majesty. Or maybe he did. The grass crunched beneath them as they walked away from their home. The dew on the grass began to dry. It was that effervescent feeling before a road trip, where the call of the unknown beckoned and the morning light spilled on their foreheads, burning their skin and making their brows sweat. Bear proudly walked in front, and Elk in the middle. Their father would hover behind them as they marched, as the blue of the sky leaned in front of them. On the first day of the journey, they would see rabbits, a bear cub, and squirrels, and Bear himself would have stepped on a wasp nest, which Hawk would treat with homemade ointment made from honey and lilac. As tough as Bear was, his brown skin was still smooth and new, and he couldn't hold back the tears, even at the age of 17. Elk laughed at him, but knew he would have cried too. Bear threw a ball of dirt and it hit Elk's hair with a pat. The second day was smoother, and the air was colder. The light poked through the tall, dark wood that surrounded them, and the bugs in the air peppered their eyes and cheeks. The sun cloaked them again as they gulped down the water from their canteens. They listened to their father tell stories of men and swords, legends of village elders and their mother. That evening, the boys pulled out leather covers and draped them over their cold bodies, warming their arms and necks. They had slept well last night and would again tonight. Bear and Hawk with their snoring and Elk with his staring at thoughts of nights on the beach, draped in his solitude. His eyes finally closed. Their father had taught him how to swing a knife and introduced him to combat. It came in handy with coyotes, bears, and the occasional angry kobold. Kobold were angry, goblin-like creatures and their larger, deadlier cousins, Lutons, who roamed the island. They mostly kept to themselves, but loved to throw poisonous slime in nearby islanders and steal from the island's resident homes. If you yelled at them when they got too close, they would often scamper away. Thumb touching chest. Protect your heart with your hand as you swing. Hawk would always say. The fatigue set in on the third day, and even though the soles of their feet were cracked and lumpy, it was the most magical day. Hawk sang a song that Mom used to love, and Elk found himself staring at the purple sky. Somewhere, far off in the distance, was a storm of red and blue. The electricity dancing was around the clouds with tremendous beauty. The clouds and color blanketed the horizon, making it hard to see past. Elk had always asked his father what this phenomenon was, but even his father didn't know. He had made mention that he believed it protected and secluded the island from the outside, and really, that was that. Bear always found himself staring at the dance of blue and red in the sky, wondering what comes next as he nervously pulled his long hair. The edge of the mountains was near. The rise of the base began to appear through the morning fog. The mountain itself was so vast and high that it seemed to touch the sky. The top of the mountain beckoned, and then the brush gave way in front of them. The trio spotted a small cave at the base of the mountain, and just as they did, their father gripped them close in fear. The roaring from inside the cave could be heard for miles around. 
The island itself seemed to shake, and the birds in the trees flew away in a definitive panic. The creature that emerged slowly from the trees in front of them was gargantuan, and lined with horns, scales, and dirty fur. Their father had told stories of this sort of beast, this pile of muscle and fur. It was called an orthrus, a creature born from an older world. It stood twenty feet high, smelled of old gasoline and skunk. It was able to chop through a dark wood's clean trunk with its jaw. It fed on tree bark, and as a result, the bleeding came from its mouth. Its arms and claws met the ground, much like an ape's, and its chest was exposed and red. Its eyes were red with fury and primal anguish. Hawk puffed his chest and grabbed both boys by the shoulders and threw them behind him. Must have been about ten feet that they flew. Hawk's chest sweltered and his arms bulged as he pulled the knife out of its scabbard. He gripped his long knife as the veins of his hands popped and sinewed. Orthrus, come! Hawk shouted. It's huge. Dad! Hawk yelled. Boys, do not step in front of me, no matter what. Hawk stood there between the boys and the Orthrus, back arched and with the towering might of an old knight. His hair flowed in the wind as the ambient sounds of the island came to a stop. In the background, the red and blue electricity in the sky was swelling and the storm had begun. Lightning hit the ground near the Orthrus as it screeched in fear, its piercing cry hurting Elk's ears. The calm was over, and Hawk was set loose upon the demon, and the beast charged to meet him. Hawk yelled and let loose a savage war cry. He tossed his gigantic pack to the ground and brought his knife up to his face and stabbed at the Orthrus. He dug his knife into the monster's gigantic thigh, which was eye-level with the man. The monster swiped his head, but Hawk ducked underneath the talons. The Orthrus screeched again and let out a wolf-like cry. Hawk put all of his weight forward and shoved the beast's groin with his shoulder. But the Orthrus remained in place. Hawk looked concerned. Both boys were yelling in the background, knowing they would be unable to help. Bear failed for his knife. Elk watched the savage battle, unable to move out of fear due to the sheer size of the feral monster just a few yards away. Hawk ducked under the monster's bottom and drove his knife into the lower back of the Orthrus. It roared and looked back at Hawk. The beast had had enough and then grabbed Hawk's torso and threw him into a nearby tree, pinning him. Hawk yelled out in anguish. Bear finally had his knife in hand and was now bravely charging the battling man and beast. The Orthrus lumbered over to Hawk and met the man's hands in a locked grip. Like two sumo wrestlers, the man and beast stared at each other with locked claw in hand, Hawk's hands like a baby's hands, to its mother's palms. Somehow, Hawk was able to lock his place in the earth against the towering monstrosity, using the tree as the base behind him. He pushed back, and the Orthrus met Hawk in kind. They stood there, locked in the mud with equal strength. Hawk's boots digging into the earth and grass at the splattering of blood from the Orthrus's mouth sprinkling his face, Hawk's teeth nearly cracking from his intense grimace. Elk stood up and watched. Bear approached the skirmish and lunged at the monster. The Orthrus loosened its grip from the challenging Hawk and swiped at Bear's face with precision, cutting the whites of his eyes and loosening a yelp from the young boy. The rage that followed after from Hawk would make a blue-red see with fear. The Orthrus found itself on the floor with Hawk on top of it, his hands around its thick neck. 
The monster could not loosen itself from Hawk's vice grip. The beast thrashed about as Hawk's muscles reached their sweltered peak, the storm above them reaching its operatic climax. The neck of the Orthrus snapped and lay limp. The monster's twitching body lay at the bottom of the mountain. Elk remembers a small crackle of red and blue electricity forming around his father's arms and hands, and surely thought he imagined it. Hawk had stood over the fallen Orthrus and grunted as he stepped off the creature's lifeless hulk. He rushed over to Bear, who was bleeding out of a large scratch on his face. Hawk went over to his back hurriedly and pulled out a cloth from him and laid it on Bear's face, covering the wound. Elk stumbled over to him and hugged them both. All three of them were crying. Hawk's forehead met with Elk's, and he held Bear's hand, soothing the young boy. He shushed his sons and stood them up. The road ahead lay bare, but they needed rest. They made camp and slept. The campfire was quiet. The next morning, they approached the mountain's cave. They passed through the unlit, blind cavern where the Orthrus had made its home, and after noticing the skeletal remains of violent warriors, realized the cave was taking them downward, under the earth. As they passed through the cave in the dark, they could hear the scampering of a pack of lutins, chuckling and snickering as they sized up the trio. They did nothing but watch from a distance, probably due to Hulk's, Hawk's towering frame. Hawk stumbled into view of an object on the ground. It was weathered, an old journal, and on the cover was a name. It read Marcus Drake. Hawk held the light journal in his hands and touched the cover. He opened the book, but the pages were all torn out or empty. He stuffed it in his bag. The battle with the Orthrus had made the trio weary, and intense darkness overtook them briefly before they emerged from the damp cave. Sunlight had hit their faces when they emerged from the cave, and the sky was purple again. The boys marveled at this sight under the mountain. Nobody from the island had been here before. Not a single island warrior had made it past the Orthrus. This piece of the earth felt special, like home. Large crevices and peaking cliffs lined the dome ceiling above them, creating a dirt-like auditorium. A gigantic oval above them lit the sky in. Elk played with the hollow echo in the massive dome, as the sunlight spilled through the cracks in the earth hundreds of feet above. Hawk smiled and only looked at the sky. He thought of his wife. Elk and his brother began to explore the place. The two brothers kicked the dirt, looked everywhere, and came across a flowing of water through the middle of the place and drank from its stream. Elk noticed small homes in the trees, with glowing eyes peering through the small wooden windows. He smiled. Hawk surveyed the earth and took notes in his journal. Distracted, Elk tipped over a rather large moss-covered trunk of some sort on his explorative walk. Bear stared at him like he was an oaf. They laughed as uh, Hawk noticed that the moss coming was coming from somewhere. Hawk asked the boys to follow the wiring of the moss-covered trunk. They followed the green rope-like trail and came to a small pathway covered in moss, resembling hanging green intestines. Hawk walked up to the ivy vines, pulled out his bloodstained knife, and cut it down, revealing another smaller clearing. In the center, they saw a large object the size of a house hidden away in the grove covered by trees, moss, and grass. The boys noticed that it had a different texture. Elk made mention that he had seen this sort of material on the big boats by the beach. Hawk grimaced, seemingly recognizing the object. The object in the center of the room seemed to shadow them, seemed to follow them. It was huge. Its metallic hide had not been touched for some time, and its sheer metal ripping torn from the rain and the elements. Hawk followed closely behind the boys and entered the clearing, 
the sun poking through the opening above, hitting his old face. He approached the machine and stood next to his boys. As Hawk began exploring the interior and the exterior of the gargantuan, strangely shaped machine, he found himself touching it and bewildering at its size. Elk and Bear noticed a slew of writing engraved on it, high above their sight. Hawk bent down next to his sons, his lumbering thighs and knees shadowing the boys. He grabbed what appeared to be a small metal tube. He grabbed what appeared to be a small metal tube and pulled it from the moss, revealing a busted and rusted metal arm. Bear noticed another large clump of moss next to it and began pulling at the wires of green. Throwing the ivy aside, the trio stared at the two rusted, barely recognizable metal men sitting at the base of the thundering tower who seemed to be peering into nothingness. Hawk frowned and crossed his arms. The boys awed at their prospect, poking, touching, and examining the barely recognizable features. Hawk lumbered over to the large machine's panel. After a brief read, Hawk carefully wrote the words etched on the panel in his journal and would begin to wonder what they truly meant. His son tugged at his torn pant leg. Dah, what does it say? Elk asked. Read for yourself, boy. Hawk replied as he knelt down and handed his curious son the journal. Elk grabbed the journal, his father's handwriting, careful and articulate, full of nuance and care. Bear stood next to his younger brother and read along with him. The dew on the grass at their feet was dry, and the sky above them echoed with red and blue. Elk's eyes lined the page and read the words. The Architect of Hope, operated by Helix and Optics, for an atomic tomorrow. Background Music by El Scavon, reading by me, book written by me, introductory song, and ending theme by Brandon Moss. Echoes of the Holograph, it's available for purchase on Amazon. You can either get the paperback or the Kindle version, whichever makes the most sense for you. Take care, guys.